Welcome to One Star Bazaar, where we review the movies critics hate. This week, we're looking at a spoof movie with a large cult following. Kung Pao Enter the Fist. Directed by Steve Odekirk. Written by Steve Odekirk. Starring Steve Odekirk. Uh, Fei Lung and Jennifer Tung. And came out in theaters, which I think is surprising, in 2002. This film has a 13% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 14% on Metacritic. So this is one of the rare cases where both sites strongly agree on where this film should be. Right, because a lot of times it's one is maybe like 30 and one is 45. There's a little bit of leeway depending on the way their algorithm weights different reviews. But in this case, they both agree this is a pretty bad film. <laughs> it's, it's not great is what they say. <laughs> All right. So obviously... This movie can't really follow the same critique criteria that we usually use because when it comes to things like the acting and the story, it's all very... Nonsensical? Yes. (laughs) When it comes to the story, it's definitely nonsensical, right? Right. It's a parody satire, whatever you want to call it, that they've cobbled together out of footage from another film. And so any amount that the story doesn't make sense, to some degree that's intentional. Right. Yeah. So you can't necessarily judge it and say, oh, the story doesn't make any sense, or oh, it doesn't have a story, because that's the point. And, I mean, even though it did kind of cobble it together from the available footage... It did still have a story. I mean, it did. It was Yeah. And I think with the story they concocted out of the available footage, it's still a followable story. Like, it's still relatively coherent, despite the random, you know, kind of funny things they splice, they put in. If I were going to critique this, like a, in a normal way, right. <laughs> I would say probably one of the weaknesses is that the villain, Betty, yes, Betty, does not have necessarily a motivation or a, you know the, he, you don't understand why he's doing what he does. In the end, they kind of explain it, but at the same time, it's like ridiculous but that's again that's the point right is the reveal of you know who's the shadowy force behind him yeah and then in terms of the acting again there's really just steve odenkirk you can't judge the acting from the original film that they're cutting in and obviously his acting is over the top but it's supposed to be over the top right that's another time where it's intentionally ridiculous to an extreme level because that's where a lot of the humor comes from. Yeah. Um. So I think, I mean, in my mind, there's no doubt that this is one of the dumbest movies I've ever seen, (laughs) but that didn't take away from the enjoyment of it. Right. I mean, you can understand now why this movie became a cult film. Yes. And the thing about cult films is... In the moment, a cult film is like a meme. You don't know (laughs) when it starts that it's going to become a viral thing, right? Yeah. Like, I think of, famously, Roger Ebert, 
you know, one of the great film critics, mm -hmm. right? Very famous. When The Big Lebowski came out, he hated that movie. He thought it was so, so dumb. Well, you know, 20 years later, he basically had to admit, okay, I didn't get it at the time, but it is a good movie because it became a cult film. It's so quotable. Mm -hmm. It's... Um, you know, beloved by a lot of people, especially because, of course, it's the Coen brothers and they've made a lot of great films over the years. And so, um, but, it's, but yeah, my point is at the time he didn't realize, oh, this movie is going to be a significant film. He just thought, I don't understand this. This is stupid. I think that's the case with a lot of cult films. You don't realize it's going to take off and become its own, you know, take on a life of its own, if yeah. you will. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the case here. Um, one issue that I have in calling this a one-star movie or a bad movie is that this is a parody overlay of another movie. Right. Exactly like I would say Mystery Science Theater does where they're adding a comedic element on top of an existing bad film mm -hmm. so yes the the source material might be pretty dumb and even it a lot of the jokes might fall flat but at the same time i think there's a lot more leeway to give a film like this or like a mystery science theater because they are working within that construct you can only do so much yeah and i think know? I mean, what they've done with it is hilarious. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't think you can really look at this from a traditional film perspective because it is just working with another movie. And, yeah. but I think they definitely deserve creativity points for what they've been able to create out of that movie. Right. So, like, take a Mystery Science Theater film, like, really, like, famously... Like Manos, Manos the, the Hands of Fate, fate right? Yeah. Very famous, considered one of the worst films ever made. It was made, like, back in the 50s or 60s. It's in black and white. They did it on an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Is it a bad movie? Yes. But if you're watching the Mystery Science Theater movie of Manos the Hands of Fate, is that a bad movie? No. Not necessarily, no. Because, again, it's a different experience even though it's essentially a movie overlaid on, on top of another movie. All right, and then I definitely think that for our fourth category, the when it was over, did we wish we hadn't watched, or was it an enjoyable movie-going experience? I think it was definitely enjoyable. Like, there were a few points where I was like, eh, I feel like it's kind of long, or, like, this is kind of stupid. <laughs> but I think overall, it was funny, it was engaging and sometimes you're just like laughing at how ridiculous it is but it's mm -hmm. still a fun movie to watch there are parts of this that are dumber than other parts right yes i felt like the weakest parts was when they were specifically parried parodying other films yeah so they they parody the matrix they spoofed the lion king those are the parts where i was like okay this is where it's crossing over into the bad film territory. Right. This is where you're getting into the 
I'm not... Okay, I think the first scary movie is probably okay, but, like, the later scary movies, the Meet the Spartans, the disaster movie, like, all those okay, films... as long as you're not about to diss, not another teen movie, because that one is hilarious. Okay, my point <laughs> is, the bad elements of this definitely overlap with the bad parody movies that we've had for the last 15, 20 years. And I feel like, too, I think you make a good point where, like, watching this now... We get it because we saw the things back then that it's referencing. Right. Whereas somebody now who hasn't seen those movies and is watching this for the first time probably isn't going to get some of those. Right. Like I think it, it doesn't age well because right. it is so of the zeitgeist. Well, of and that it also era. takes away from what makes this movie funny that I respect is that it is, in fact, the ridiculousness, the nonsensical kung fu film aspects. Yeah, it, like, it does stay very true to what a kung fu film is. What I find funny, legitimately funny, is when they make, as far as their nonsensicalness, whatever. Nonsensicality. There you go, nonsensicality. When they make fun of bad dubbing. <laughs> they do such a so, good job of that. Okay, I would just like to point out that that is like a perfect example of the ridiculousness of this movie and the way it makes fun of like dubbing movie, dubbed foreign action films like this. Right. You have the scene where the guy asks a question of this other guy and he mouths like a, three sentences and the dub is basically like, I don't know. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. But can we talk about the scene with the dog? <laughs> oh. Where they dub the dog. <laughs> it's so good. I don't You don't remember? Mis- <laughs> okay, so all the dog does is bark, but like it barks and lays down. <laughs> so you see the, the movement of the dog barking and then it laying down. And then like five seconds later, you actually hear the bark. Okay, it's yeah. so good. Yeah. Exactly. So they're making fun of bad dubbing. Um, they make fun of, like, weird jump cuts and and continuity errors. <laughs> Your shirt's red. <laughs> Your shirt's black. Yes, exactly. It's like, I'm a magician. Your shirt is now red. <laughs> and it's, it's obvious that it's footage they had just <laughs> spliced in from different scenes. Or maybe the original movie had continuity some weird continuity problem. errors or something. And they're just making fun of it. That's the stuff that I think is funny. Yeah, no, it was good. Speaking of critics... Here are some choice excerpts of what many critics of the time had to say about it. Jonathan Foreman of the New York Post said, It's an inept, tedious spoof of 70s kung fu pictures. It contains almost enough chuckles for a three-minute sketch and no more. Lawrence Van Gelder of the New York Times said, To imagine the life of Harry Potter as a martial arts adventure told by a lobotomized Woody Allen is to have some idea of the fate that lies in store for moviegoers lured to the mediocrity that is Kung Kung Pao, enter the fist. Edward Guthman of the San Francisco Chronicle had this to say, full of flatulence jokes and mild sexual references, Kung Pao is the kind of movie that's critic proof simply because it aims so low. I feel like one, there weren't that many fart jokes. Like, I've seen movies with way more That is true. <laughs> part jokes. And then mild sexual references, there's maybe two? 
There's a bunch of scenes where him getting it on with the girl. But they don't. The, no, they don't. But that's the point. Is like she flashes him, or she's, oh, uh, yeah, let me get undressed for you. No, wait, no, no, wait, yes, no, 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 but yes. Again, no. that's that's a total of two scenes in the movie. Sure, it's but then not, there's also the guy. It's not like Lethal Weapon, there where was, not was, Lethal Weapon. It's not like Naked Gun, where there's like fifty thousand overly sex sexual references. Or like Airplane, where the pilot is I've joking about pedophilia. <laughs> the kid that's in the cockpit. Anyway. Anyway. But yeah, like I feel like for for the kind of stupid movie that this is, there usually are more sex jokes and fart jokes, and I feel like. This movie was light on both of those, so I don't think this review is valid. I mean, I agree with the last part. That where you it says don't think it's critic proof because it aims so low. I think that's true. That's true. Yeah, kinda... I don't think they were making this movie. No. Because they thought it was going to be a masterful piece of cinema. I think they made it because they knew it was just going to be a fun, dumb movie. And that's exactly what I like to talk about for a second. There are movies. I don't. I. I. I'm gonna call them like stoner humor. Yes. Not because they can only be liked by people who are high. Because we're not high. But just because no. <laughs> but just because the kind of people who like these movies are the kind of people who are basically like young college age. Not fully mature, but they're definitely adults. Like this isn't. It's not nine year olds who love Adam Sandler films. Uh, yeah, this, are... we're talking about like college students <laughs> who just dumb humor totally appeals to them. Yes, and this is certainly one of those films. I saw this film when I was in college. It was a cult film, or it was becoming a cult film at the time. I think films like Super Troopers, Broken Lizard films fall into the same category. I think they're hilarious, but I totally understand why critics hate them, and they never have good reviews. What's funny about that, though, is. Yeah, I think they appeal to the young, dumb, college guy sort of mentality. But they also appeal to, like, my dad. My dad is in his 70s. His One of his favorite movies is Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle. Okay. <laughs> like, definitely a stoner movie, considering stoner that's movie. what it's about. And we showed him um, Super Troopers, and he loves that kind of humor. Right. So I don't think it's necessarily just... No, it's not like it's only young people can like it. But the point is, part of the appeal of those films, I think, is because they're so quotable. Yeah. Which in today's day and age, now that memes are such a thing, just because... And I say that because the word meme was only invented a generation ago or whatever and really started to understand what a meme is. Yes. But now it's it's definitely... (laughs) Well, I mean, they existed. We just didn't know what to call them. The with, internet barely with, existed when we were Well, that's were my point. Like, stuff like that existed, but they weren't worldwide viral sensations yeah, the way that widespread. it spreads now. Mm-hmm. Basically, if a movie like this is a collection of memes, mm-hmm. and it's going to turn into just tons of inside jokes, like we were saying, um, where you just quote it with your friends, and they know the next line, and, they, and then you know the next line, and it just becomes this, oh, man, that was so funny. Like, we're just repeating it like that appeals to a lot of people Mm -hmm. and that's why people like these movies because it helps people kind of connect to each other through humor 
Yeah. Right? For some reason, critics don't get that. <laughs> critics hate it. They don't understand why it's funny. They don't... I mean, I don't know why. I don't want this podcast to just turn into us, like, always trashing what critics say. Because critics do have valid points. Here's the thing. Of those three reviews I just read, I agree in part with all three of them. Right. The first one... Yeah. Uh, Jonathan, the, the New York Post... Um, basically says, oh, there's enough, there's enough comedy here for like a small, a short sketch, like mm-hmm. an SNL sketch. I'm like, okay, that's fair. There probably is. I mean, I would say more than three minutes because there were legitimately funny things throughout it, mm-hmm. but they, I could see how somebody who only thought half as much was funny as I did would basically say, oh, there's like 10 jokes. In this film. And that's one of the things, too. I mean, we're yeah, we're not saying that critics are wrong. I think we're just saying that critics sometimes take movies too seriously. Yes. And sometimes they're trying to look at every movie like it's trying to win an award. Or, like, every movie um, needs to be a piece of art. Right. You know? Some movies are just trying to be dumb, funny movies. And there's nothing wrong with that. This film definitely qualifies as art, but in the same way that some absurdist piece of art is going to be very different from classic, yeah, you know, like, impressionist, like it's going to be different. Yeah, modern art is different than yeah stuff you're going to find in you know from France three hundred years yeah, ago, right? Exactly. Like yeah. like the it's like the art that's really just a pile of garbage, but when you look at it from a certain angle, it's like a bicycle or whatever. <laughs> Okay. I swear that's a thing. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, it's going to be different than, you know, a, a masterpiece painting like the Mona Lisa or yeah, other things like that. Or like how I don't get the geometric art from like the, the 60s and 70s or those weird, the lines with the primary colors. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. What, like, what is that? I don't get anyway, that. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I get Fair this. Enough. This is funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is almost intentionally stupid. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with and that. And that's the, kind of the point. And so it's hard to critique it when you're basically saying it's stupid. That's my criticism. And it's like, yeah, that's the point. Yeah, it's supposed to be that way. It's exactly what it was intended to be. I'm torn. Because the last couple of movies we've watched, my thought has basically been like, I don't understand why critics hated this so much. Yeah, it's not the greatest movie ever, but it's enjoyable. It's a movie. It's just mindless, kind of right. typical We're, movie-going fare. Right, whereas this movie, we can see why critics Yeah, hated this it. movie is way dumber. Yeah. But at the same time, I respect it because that's intentional. Because it's a parody. It's like I was saying with Mystery Science Theater. Is Manos the Hands of Fate a terrible movie? Yes. Is Mystery Science Theater episode number whatever, Matt, you know, colon, Manos the Hands of Fate? Is that a terrible movie? No. No, probably <laughs> not. Even though it contains the main elements of one of the worst movies ever. But it's something repackaged and it's something new that I can kind of get behind because it's, you don't see it every day. It's not original, mm-hmm. but you don't see it all the time. And so it is a little bit more unique. Yeah, it's refreshing. I, I re- yeah, it is refreshing. And so, 
This movie probably deserves to be low rated. So, yes. Well, I think it might deserve the one star. It's still fun to watch. It still has its merits. Yeah. Right. I guess that's... So, that's... so yes. It does deserve the one star, but, but that, that doesn't does mean, not... does not make it a horrible movie. It does not make it a bad movie, and it doesn't take away its watchworthiness. Yes. It's still watchworthy. Yes. Just probably not all the time. Not all the time. Although I'm sure there's a handful of people out there who are going to who say, you know, that's my favorite movie. I watch it all the time. Well, great. I'm glad for you. <laughs> Props to you. <laughs> I mean, I would just like to point out, this is kind of what came to me as we started watching this film. So this movie came out in 2002. There's another very famous homage to kung fu films that came out in 2003 and its second part came out a year or two later i think a year later yeah it was it was and pretty this soon is after kill bill volumes one and two that's a weird comparison to make to say this movie is anything like kill bill right this kind of sounds crazy. At first glance, yeah. At first glance. But basically my thought process is, here is two very different examples of filmmakers who really, really, really loved and respected the martial arts action film genre. Yes. And really wanted to make a film that would pay homage to this genre, right? Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, Kill Bill is an example of a big budget, critically acclaimed, well-received, blockbuster, made a lot of money, I believe, I'm sure. I'm sure it did. And certainly contains elements of a classic kind of the kung fu tropes. You know, she gets sent off to yeah. the tr- train with the ancient master, and there's a lot of, like... And there's Sword always fighting, a revenge plot. And there's revenge and ninjas, all kinds of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. This, totally other direction. Low budget, <laughs> kind of getting back to the roots of, in, in a funny way, some of the things that are ridiculous but that you like, you love. Mm-hmm. Continuity errors, um, bad dubbing, just kind of fun. It's stupid, but it's fun. This is going to be a ridiculous comparison, <laughs> but go with it. As far as what I was saying about Kill Bill. Uh-huh. I see it as... Imagine you have two people who really love Chinese food. Like, not just like Panda Express. Maybe they started out, they loved, you know, had takeout and Panda Express growing up. But they decided, I really love Chinese food. It's my favorite food. I want to, like, go learn in China how to make Chinese food. Mm-hmm. Kill Bill is like the three-star chef who trained under the great chefs in China and then, like, comes back to the West and has his, like, high-concept fine-dining restaurants that, like, you know, serves elevated versions of... Traditional Traditional kind of Chinese peasant dishes. Yeah. Whereas Kung Pao is more like, this guy just went to some grandma in China and learned how to make, like, this peasant dish... 
and was like, this is awesome, and brings it back home and just makes it for friends and family. And some people are like, this is disgusting because it's, you know... It's like that episode... Made of uncommon ingredients. Delicious, yeah, exactly. he has the... The, whatever it is that's the chewy thing yeah, and he's like, like I can't eat this and she's yeah. like no it's so good yeah exactly so Kung Pao is the more I don't care I'm not trying to create a you know high end concept whatever I just want to enjoy this yeah and have my own version of it mm-hmm. and I I kind of respect that even though I definitely like the idea of the other end you know the take the foundational stuff and kind of elevate it to the next level and I love Kill Bill I think it's a great film there's two of them yes. one <laughs> one in two pieces um, but you can like both you know? that's the thing yeah so you know anyway. people like their steak but they like hamburgers too well people like their I'd say it's more like people like their steak but they also love corn dogs <laughs> Because hamburgers can be pretty elevated. Like, you can get a... Okay, there's fine. Gordon Ramsay People has like a burger restaurant. And they still like a, the McDonald's 79-cent hamburger. Okay, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> yeah, more like a dollar, whatever, 29 nowadays, 79 cents. Yeah, if you want cheese. Yeah, maybe back <laughs> in the 90s, it was 79 cents. Jeez. They're in a mold. What do you want from me? The one segment of those reviews that I strongly disagree with and this might just be me being pedantic about his wording but when he makes the comparison to harry potter i'm like come on dude it was the abandoned the abandoned orphan chosen one trope is like a thousand years old it's so much older than harry potter i know that yeah (laughs) this is like a year after the first harry potter movie came out and so it was certainly in the moment Mm -hmm. but like, seriously, King Arthur was an abandoned orphan chosen one in some versions. And that whole Moses versions. guy? Yeah, and Moses. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so there you go. That trope is, like, 5,000 years old. Okay? J.K. <laughs> Rowling did not invent the orphan chosen one. <laughs> Luke Skywalker, 30 years ago, you know, 40 years ago. Anyway, the point yeah. is, it's, you know. It's been done Stop before. giving her more credit <laughs> than she deserves for using generic tropes. Granted, she does repurpose them. That's why she's a great writer. Thank you for listening to One Star Bazaar. As always, please let us know what you think by reaching out on Facebook or Twitter at One Star Bazaar. You can visit our Patreon page to contribute to the podcast if you like what we're doing. Please rate and subscribe if you're willing. It helps us out and lets us know you're listening. Next week will be a double episode. We will look at two different films from a popular franchise. One is a reboot, and the other is a sequel. We will not be comparing them to the originals, but asking how watchworthy they are on their own.